0: you could disappoint me would be like if you started saying like brought to you by pfizer type commentary i don't know that would make me a little uncomfortable but other than that like i think share your opinions you know that's what you're here for I'll introduce you because I'll forget otherwise. I'm a disorderly mess these days. Daddy, these days I've gotten so just, I don't want to say chaotic because it's an orderly chaos, but there's just a lot of uh, pots on the stove here Mm, in Backlash headquarters. It's really, it's exciting. It's combustive. Uh, We're percolating. But it's also, I'm Sagittarius. I'm a fire sign. It's a lot. We don't have to get into it. But like, basically it's, I need a Zoomer assistant. So out there, if you're listening and want to get, I don't know. Do you know how to get college credits for people, for interns, Daddy? It seems like you might know how to do that. Oh,
1: my goodness gracious. (laughs) I'm going to
0: put you on that. While we put you on that, I want to introduce my returning guest, a a champ, a trooper, a a sojourner of the New York Long Island sound, a woman of the world, a dear friend of mine, and just a true fan favorite and just all-around superstar poster. Welcome back to Here Comes the Backlash. Daddy Udad.
1: Oh, hello. Thank you so much for having me again. It is an
0: honor. I actually really appreciate that you are, have been willing to join me on the air. I think this is your fourth time now, which <gasps> makes you a, a four-time superstar. You may be the first to have achieved this. We'll have to go back to the, the annals because um, I think Basil may have like an asterisk because we did the live space together, but I mm-hmm. think you may have achieved the first four-timer.
1: Ooh, a live space. Could we do that sometime? That sounds exciting.
0: We absolutely should. I should plug this, but me and Oso Blanco, Mm -hmm. uh, another uh, fan fave, uh, have been starting, or we we did start a a radio show on Twitter, or, or X, whatever it's called. It's not really radio, right? But we're we're doing radio and it's a call in show. We want to model it after, uh, you know, like coast to coast or love line uh, with different kinds of themes and topics. So I, I hope you can join us some Sunday evening and just call in, you know, and the topic speaks to you.
1: Yeah, that sounds very interesting. Speaking of X, or overlord is uh, on the Texas border. I just saw.
0: Oh, my gosh. Which one Xi Jinping? Rabbi Rabbi Xi Jinping.
1: <laughs> Mr. Elon <laughs> Musk, superstar of South Africa
0: conqueror of
1: the deep state (laughs) he has made a a journey to the border and he's posting in his very lovely reflective sunglasses so uh, i'm sure he'll have many more updates for us over the following week
0: (laughs) he is a real he's really not good at anything that he does it's really sad to watch him try so hard at everything so of course he goes to the border The famous uh, last resort of every tryhard basically ever is to go to the border and say something about it. So welcome to the Loser Club, I guess, uh, Sir Elon, our overlord. You
1: know, my grandmother loves him. She calls him the uh, Da Vinci of our age because she read one of his books like a decade ago. And so Elon is her special... One of her special boys along with the formula one
0: drivers <laughs> to be fair he is the like da vinci of our age the bar is very low unfortunately but like your grandma can't be wrong so i'm gonna justify it i would like him more if he was not trying to be overlord also you know i just need a little bit more mike lindell from him and a little less you know like a uh, joker
1: I think it's tricky too, because so much of what he does, I always assume that he's taking on several, I guess, causes or personalities or characters that aren't even necessarily his, because I always assume like a lot of these quote unquote public billionaires are kind of just agents of uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: machinations of things we could barely understand. So I've always kind of take it as I suppose like a formative character. So it's fascinating to me. But um, I have to say the management of what is formerly Twitter has created a lot of interesting chaos. I perhaps thought it would go a little smoother, but perhaps in another year, there'll be a grand reveal of the, the plan that existed all along. (laughs)
0: i think the plan it just involves more babies with with brines possibly (laughs) or clones of that i don't know i think you're totally right about billionaire cutouts i always wonder maybe do they even know themselves and are they like sweet like angel retard baby boys who don't even know that they are useless idiots and like bill gates and um elon are just like think they're trying to do so much good and they don't understand why people are so mad i think that's a funny thing to think about sometimes because you're right who knows how much even complicity they are aware of that they have it's a crazy world out there
1: it is and i mean with elon i feel that the big thing is I talk about this all the time, but Starlink. I mean, Starlink is a real project and it's very, like, deeply serious. So I almost see, like, Tesla and Twitter and these other companies as sort of side distractions from what is becoming our artificial firmament of military communications technology. Mm -hmm. So... And I, I understand that he's you know the public face and there are many people who work below him who actually make this, but I, Starlink is a very serious project. So I always kind of keep that in my calculations or wonder if that's what this is really just all leading towards, because even as we've seen with the war between Ukraine and Russia, it's obviously highly consequential communications platform and the capabilities that can be produced by having the ability to access internet theoretically anywhere in the world. If you have a a little terminal of the portable terminals, I mean, you can carry on a backpack. And that's pretty mind blowing to me. And I I feel like that's kind of where this is all headed because he has so many major Department of Defense contracts. Basically, that's the lens that I use. Even if people think it sounds kind of crazy. I mean, I try to look at, like, what's the serious thing? Like, the thing that isn't a joke. I mean, and that's a very serious project and a very serious company, so I don't know. I always kind of take it, everything else is kind of, like, um, maybe like the warm-up or side act to what is the, like, the, the kernel at the center.
0: Mm. Mm. The idea that uh, Starlink is... It it doesn't it does not seem like a joke now, right now that we know a part of uh, much Mm -hmm. a part of the Ukraine any infrastructure it is Absolutely. um but things like space force too people thought of space force is such a joke and i was like no this is fucking this is star wars this is real donald rumsfeld there's a, a great quote i think it's august of 2001 where he says you know in 20 years we're going to have space will be the next frontier in defense in, in war basically <laughs> in the business and he basically declares that basically to the day almost of rolling out space force officially as a branded thing everyone thought it was a big joke right with trump it is not all this stuff is real and now that we see and you're right it's interesting to see him be blamed for this incident in ukraine with some shutting off like satellites or that control of the wars it sounds like an 80s movie to be honest it sounds like something which charlie sheen would be in or whatever i don't know but like you know what i mean but like what do you, what's going on there what is your take on that situation do you think he's even like is he even in charge of what happens with that system
1: I personally don't think that rogue billionaires are allowed to turn off major military communications. I think that there's higher people or purposes that they're working for. And I understand there are some people who completely disagree with that or think that I'm being maybe uncharacteristically idealistic, but I I don't think he's just casually you know manipulating the levers of a major conflict that could very easily become world war 3 at any moment i think there's an element again i'm saying i i understand that some people disagree with this but There's an element of if you can blame the individual who everyone perceives as this uh, maybe chaotic, all powerful billionaire, then that takes off some of the pressure or the blame or the heat from the, the other people involved. So you could argue what's the better fall guy than the eccentric billionaire who everyone expects to do something crazy where you can kind of have even if everyone knows what happened, it can be kind of like an indirect sort of way to push off blame for something or to have someone who takes the heat on behalf of other people or forces mm-hmm. personally. Yeah. Um, for example, all through, I I've spoken about this many times, but like one of the most famous examples is Howard Hughes was used all the time as a cover mm. for these um, projects for military projects, for for plane projects, for um, the projects that inspired the, what is um, Hunt for red October is based on is the Mm. story of the Glomar Explorer, which was one of the CIA's largest projects ever. And that was all done through Howard Hughes because he was considered like the perfect eccentric billionaire cover. And they had worked with him many times before, so I I do think of it in those terms, but I understand that some people think that's really out there, but personally, that's how I view it.
0: Mm-hmm. Speaking of sweet angel, autistic retard boy, Howard Hughes. Thank you for mentioning him. Nobody talks about Howard Hughes like they should. Have. <laughs> Mae Russell, my queen, my legend, Mae Russell, queen of conspiracy She's People out there think they understand her. I don't think some people understand her as good as they. Proclaimed to because it's very interesting uh, to me the things that she said and how prescient they are of, of today's mm-hmm. moment but uh, she definitely was a big Howard Hughes truther uh, there's a lot of great theories about that <laughs> uh, people should look and we should do a Howard Hughes should be maybe that's not a good Twitter space it's weird but the whole thing with him like maybe not being alive for a decade and just being used as a front almost as like a, a as a virtual like a corporation in, in himself like definitely being out of his mind for a period of time and just being a front
1: I I mean I have a Huge soft spot for Howard Hughes. I love exactly. him so much. I relate as just a total weirdo. I love, I love him. I think of other. um I mean, there's other projects. Maybe that could be an interesting topic. Is in in the 40s and 50s all of these figures, like for example, like Donald Trump's uncle, who we mentioned, yeah. but who really did help found Mm -hmm. many aspects of the U.S. science and military projects. Um, Like, there's all these fascinating characters from the 1940s and 50s, so we could kind of roll it together perhaps.
0: Yeah, the uncle finding doing all that work, I think after or or concurrently with the Tesla papers which she was responsible Mm -hmm. for uh, I think cataloging for the United States government. Another cutout, this is a great pivot, another cutout that I'll mention quickly, uh, Martine Rothblatt, a a billionaire s- a tranny supervillain is how I'll describe her here. I'm sorry, Denny, that's how I'm. She is the founder of SiriusXM. Her story, she's a transhumanist psychopath, like completely, completely crazy. Jennifer Black is a reporter, a journalist who's done a lot of work on like Pritzker money, uh, this Rothblatt uh, money. They have a lot of foundations and NGOs that really pumped a lot of things under the guise of LGBT rights. Let's put it that way, which were actually fueling a transhumanist agenda. Fascinating reporting. Um, This crazy Martine Rothblatt, her origin story is like she dropped out of college for a minute and went to go visit her friend in Africa, at NASA, like she just was like, "Okay, oh, you want to come by and uh, see the, the the space dishes or whatever?" And Martine mm-hmm. Rothblatt goes, she's still, a, of course, a man at this point. Um, she <laughs> goes and is like, "I think I want to invent." Uh, Um, satellite network of radio stations it's like the craziest story there's a really great new yorker profile and it's just like i want to do this and goes back to school and found sirius xm it's a ridiculous story it's patently like just absurd that you would just go wandering onto nasa property in the middle of africa and then just be like it's ridiculous it's ridiculous she has a robot of her uh, black wife it's really it's a fascinating (laughs) she's a fascinating character Martine rothblatt Go look at that one up.
1: Um, okay, so real <laughs> quick pause because pause, my pause. jaw is kind of dropped. I <laughs> am fascinated by this New Yorker. I've never heard of this serious woman or this oh, profile.
0: It's a great profile. Oh my gosh, but, word for word.
1: Yeah. The reason I'm, that I'm kind of in shock is, it, and the story of them going off, you know, to the NASA. There's a New Yorker profile of Tim Poole and his origin story. And I'm just shocked because it's almost the exact same thing is in the New Yorker is him. And I guess Shively uh, quote, I just pulled it up because I, um, I helped, so Shively, who he went around with during Occupy Wall Street, they literally said, I helped out this FBI agent on an investigation. And as a little thank you, he got me hooked up teaching at UC Riverside. He said, it was cool. I was 17. And then he met Poole through a, quote, mutual friend. We were all going out to a spaceport in the Mojave Desert to test rocket engines, you know. The two hit it off and began live streaming news events it's last sh- year, shyly sneaked into Syria to help dissidents evade internet restrictions, and Poole came to New York, where his Occupy Wall Street feed was featured in Time and on the MSNBC and Al Jazeera. Shively joined him and found the apartment through a contact in the hacker collective Anonymous. It was Shively's idea to engineer the Occupy Wall Street dome, a kind of four-pronged frisbee that glides over Lower Manhattan. Armed with a video camera to keep tabs on allegedly the police, so that just shocked me because I was like, "That's the say." I remember when I read this profile, I was like, "Oh, like this is so clearly an intelligence." Like, (laughs) "Oh, we're just kids," and the FBI hooked me up, and then we met in the desert, and I was like, "This is just." I was like, they're barely even trying to conceal I it. I
0: mean, you know, daddy de- 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 it's the, yeah. the pastime of, you know, California boys, some form of like a hardcore band, some, you know, become TikTok influencers for yes. the White House and others yeah. go and just shoot rockets yeah. in the Mojave Desert. That's just what you Casually. do. You know? yeah. and,
1: and I just remember reading that profile and, oh, well, my friend in the FBI hooked me up and then, oh, an anonymous <laughs> friend and anonymous collector. And I was like, oh, like, this is so clearly and quote unquote, the, the drone is to keep tabs on police. I'm like, no, it was to watch movements of the protesters, And I was thinking they're not even hiding it. It's just straight in the no, New Yorker. It,
0: no, it's yeah. the New Yorker needs like, they need a better cover artist. Like this person's cover up artist is terrible. <laughs> they, that shows you just how desperate things are, because like they could. No one's reached out to me. Probably not you either, Daddy, to say, hey, just come work for us and like help us with this mess. They don't care. They have the most incompetent people doing the most uh important jobs you could argue if you were trying to be a totalitarian state, which it does seem like that they're really trying it. It's questionable at this point now whether they will succeed. I think of like also, yeah, This, um, what do you think of this operation? I'll be diplomatic here. We'll just call her... Psychotranny American disinfo Ukrainian uh, warlord agent, the Tokyo Rose of Kiev, strange woman who I still think is Chris Elliott from SNL from the 90s. Doing a bit, you know, you have to been too much, but <laughs> fascinating she woman. She blocked me.
1: She blocked no, me, no. first <laughs> of all. So I've been out of the loop for a little while because, um,
0: are you so on you the list? Oh, my gosh, are you on the list of like the targets? I'm scared for you.
1: (laughs) A drone right now just comes in. (laughs) Um, So I a while ago, I like it just I saw some media from her and I was like, this is so crazy and surreal. Like, it doesn't feel real. Like, I thought it was some kind of Mm -hmm, elaborate. mm -hmm. And I went to her YouTube channel. She's been running and just saying just the most unhinged things you could ever do. Mm-hmm. And I, that's to me, it was like, this is unhinged. I and mean, that's bad if I'm thinking I used mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. unhinged. And I read more on her history and I was like, this is very skeptical. Like these other people, it's like, it's all of this. Oh, well, I was doing freelance you know, journalism for and working with contacts and it just set every alarm bell. And then one of her videos is where she's, saying um, like oh well because we're what's the difference between us and them we're human and they're not Mm -hmm. about the Mm -hmm. Russians so I made a meme where I put like this video and then um, you know that uh, I don't is it Call of Duty, the video game where it's Kevin Spacey and he yeah, turns yeah, yeah, around yeah. in the Jeep and says, this is a highly advanced warfare. So I, I did the her saying that and then it cut right at the end to him saying like, look, this is highly advanced warfare because I was like, oh, this is like a psychological operation. And... I didn't tag her like anything. I just put it as like a meme for and then I got blocked like the next day. So <laughs> they saw it. I was like, "Oh, oh no." So then I've been seeing things, but yeah, that's how I guess it's real. I don't know. But yeah, no, they blocked me like right oh after. Oh my I, gosh. I made that video that I didn't like tag, you know, I never I never yeah. really at or time i just kind of like post stupid things and it was and i guess it was seen so yeah but no it's it's fascinating it's, it's just a- bizarre it's very bizarre I mean, i don't understand any of the logic of it and i i didn't believe there's no way some random crazy american is their spokesperson and like i had looked it all up because i was like this just it's beyond like it's pushing the boundaries Mm -hmm. of what anyone will even and it was all real so no no i don't even know what to say
0: (laughs) well first of all um it's funny to think of the tuesday morning at the pentagon like stand up like their powerpoint they've got daddy fucking tweets like with her (laughs) her her, her hilarious meme like your tax dollars at work folks and then being like all right like block her you know like it's just so funny um and hey you're right it is bizarre it's a bizarre it it does feel like it feels like a personal attack like you you watch it and you're like do other people see this like it's uncanny our our defense department our intelligence services could afford a better wig if they chose to so they clearly want her to look deranged. Like there's an element that's just unraveling, right? You know, and so it's like, is it to get us even to talk about it right now? It fuels something, right? It serves some purpose it and it's so like upsetting. It feels like
1: sabotage. Yes. And my point this whole time is I'm constantly accused of being like, oh, you're pro-Russian or Putin propaganda. I was like, first of all, I mean, Ukrainians are getting. I've always said it. what's being done to Ukraine is sick. Mm -hmm. and disgusting Mm -hmm. and it's not going to end well if you look at any of our recent two like even very recent history it's the same um the same pattern and
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. I fear for Zelensky because he's in so deep and I mean, just look at what we've done to all of our past allies. It's very concerning. Like, It's not because I hate Ukrainians or hate Zelensky, even though he confuses me too. I'm like, this is, it's just watching the pattern unfold and everyone is cheering it on. And there's a very bloodthirsty aspect to it, which I find it disgusts me. Like the way people are dehumanizing both Russians and Ukrainians. I was like, this isn't a joke. People are dying it's not funny that they're being blown up it's not funny ukrainians are being blown up in trenches it's not funny russians are being blown up in trenches and everyone's making a lot of money which is disgusting and they're not you know people with no actual skin in the game and these ridiculous people with cartoon dogs who think they're like warriors i mean even if i The mercenaries, I don't necessarily think that's a great idea either, like at least they're putting their skin in the game, (laughs) Unfortunately, many are dying for it, but I'm like, I've always been very, NATO is, the NATO project to me I have many issues with, which I've been very vocal, and this is only kind of confirming what a lot of people have said about the NATO Nazi project, I mean, it's not just a few mm. guys, all of the NATO commanders, I mean, multiple, singer, all of these guys were very high level in the German military mm. and in the Third Reich. And they all became very high level in, in NATO and NATO command structure. And uh, the arguments that I've been told, which I do understand, is people saying, well, You need military experts and military expeditions. So they were simply choosing the best. And I could understand for the same way that the U.S. made many excuses for all of the paperclip scientists and engineers. But then we just should be honest and like just, you know, we're not. I don't trust the intentions of NATO. And it's to me what's happening Mm -hmm. with Russia and Ukraine is as someone who's very concerned about how Western Europeans view and treat Slavs and the way that we're now pushing, very obviously trying to push Poland as next. um, It feels like they're just saying let's, you know, and yesterday, as I don't know if you saw like uh, Lindsey Graham and Elizabeth Warren basically mm-hmm. just straight up saying, well, no Americans are dying and quietly saying (laughs) and we're saving europeans Uh, but they're basically very openly saying like it's fine like as many ukrainians need to die to get to make as many russians die as possible is fine with us and i was like this is a very dark creepy viewpoint Mm -hmm. and especially as the next country that they've clearly shown is on the chopping block is Poland. I'm like, this feels like Anglos and German Nazis going to ha- have as many Slavs dead as possible. And it's like, it really actually is disgusting to me. Mm-hmm. And I'm always shocked at how like the things people say to me, I was like, I don't want Ukrainians dead. I don't want Russians dead. I don't want Poles dead. They took the hugest hits in World War II. And I think it's disingenuous for people to pretend like they can't understand at all why people would be at least like, I, there's a very good reason to be wary of what's going on because it feels very dark so far to me personally from what I've seen. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. No, you're absolutely right about every single thing you said. Uh, the mercenary thing, it's funny what you said about It's like at least they have jobs, these NAFO people. That is not a real job. I'm sorry. At least they go to work and try. I don't know. I'm sorry. It's interesting because everything, oh gosh, there's sirens now, of course. Okay. Sure. Oh my gosh. This is real. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so there's like, these uh, embarrassing moments. This whole thing is fronted by this freak, like, bad-wigged communications Kiev, like, elderflower. Whatever this thing is, this creature, it's very bizarre. Zelensky marched around like a puppet just to grovel, like, for money. It's degrading. It's very strange. And he, I think, is Jewish. He's very Jewish-coded, I guess, let's just say. So it does seem, like, exploitative, which... Uh, There's a lot I can say, but it's very interesting. I just feel like it's very kind of tragic. Uh, Justin Trudeau bringing a Nazi, unbeknownst to him, apparently, Mm -hmm. to celebrate in in their parliament. uh, And then Joe Biden, it's very degrading. There's this degrading element that seems like intentional in this entire affair.
1: I agree. And the Ukrainian spokesperson, I don't even... They just seem like a very (laughs) unwell person to me. So mm -hmm. I think that they're also just being like, used and manipulated. Now, it doesn't really make sense to me logically what the idea is of what possibly is the benefit of it, unless it's just purely to sabotage Ukraine while pretending to be friends. But I don't even really wanna say bad things about that because they see, they look like their eyes. I was like, this person is not well and they shouldn't even be in this situation. And it also doesn't make sense how a random American like freelance journalist ends up as a Ukraine forces spokesperson. And I watched their their YouTube channel has many videos and they're all just very illogical and bizarre. So it's just very weird to me. And Zelensky, I, I said this the other day, I was like, let him wear a suit. There was a picture of (laughs) him, you know, signing over to BlackRock, And I was like, they won't let him ever wear a suit. It's like they want him to be the, like, cartoon character. I feel like he, Mm -hmm. again, he's being sabotaged, too. And Mm -hmm. it's just bizarre. Like, he wears these little, like, it's like Garanimals for toddlers, but, like, military Garanimals. Like, they give him a random, like, little sweatshirt with this logo and little... Pants and it's you know, if he was even wearing a straight up military uniform all the time, it might make more sense. But I'm like, yeah, it's like grandmas I was like, he wears these like little matching sets of brand new, like faux camo fatigues, which is almost more bizarre and insulting than just wearing camo and fatigues all the time. Like that's what also is like you know it's not genuine, like it's just bizarre. It just, and I Who their dresser is, because clearly there's someone making this (laughs) entire wardrobe of drab clothes for this little man, and they'll never let him wear a suit, especially if he's surrounded by people in suits. Let the
0: guy, like, that's how I know. Exactly. No, he must want to just do it once. It's this psycho-octogenarian, like, warlord class where it's, like, these, like, granny, like, babushka kind of, like, they're, like, they want him in these, like, tight. These, like, very, like, horny grandmother type, uh Nancy Pelosi types, let's say. Uh, Diane Feinstein, they're just, like, wine him to put on like a show and for them he is a like a young twink right like Zelensky is a twink to our like aging crumbling uh warlord leader class they see him as a young boy they like love the tight look of the tight pants to them probably like seeing ankles is still scandalous you know they, they, they're that old so I feel like it's, it's very it, it feels sexual and like degrading you're completely right about all of it it makes no sense and it's just so with a so many billions of dollars being poured into this operation. Again, it's insulting as a taxpayer to not get a fucking return. I mean, World War II, we're still talking about that one. That was worth every penny as far as I'm concerned that we paid in terms of return on investment from the state's perspective. Like They got a lot of bang for that buck. I, I don't see what we're getting out of this one. I just don't see it. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, it's bizarre because well, I actually, I um, I posted this the other day, but anyone can see the Atlantic Council president or it's like president slash CEO wrote this op-ed where he pretty much, he said all of the things that people call a conspiracy. And he said essentially like Western liberal order is starting to show cracks. It's vulnerable and it can fall. And he said, the world is watching and i'm assuming the atlantic council the ceo you know does have many contacts so when he says my contacts in the middle east etc like i want to believe him i mean of course he (laughs) could be making it all up but he said they're telling me and he said i've never seen this level before of basically all of these connections he has saying they're all watching and they kind of view it as if the U.S. isn't able to pull through on this one. Uh, I think he didn't say this, but I consider it in combination with Syria because Bashar al-Assad showed you can stand up and you can live. And I think it that's why we're just so all in is first we want to be sure that it's not us and western europeans dying it's like they wanted to be as many non like i said it's like they kind of want as many Slavs as possible or as many people in the middle east they
2: mm-hmm.
1: and mm-hmm. they're willing to just go all out because they want to show everyone that there's still no challenge to the hegemony that the u.s and you know five eyes and our economic alliance has it was fascinating because there were so many things that he explicitly spilled out in this op-ed that I had been said like crazy or reaching my thoughts a conspiracy theory. And he just said, yeah, like in their <laughs> so- minds, this is, <laughs> they're going to go all in. Any amount is worth it. We'll spend because we want to degrade Russia as much as possible. So they can't possibly challenge us and, We want to show like we will do the same with Taiwan. If I was in Taiwan right now, I would just leave because the U.S. just views Ukrainians and Taiwanese people as bodies to place in between them and their enemies and very dark. And I think the big thing and many people have said this, many pretty high level people have admitted that Syria was the. That was the huge turning point because before then we had openly killed and paraded around the bodies of our former Mm. allies and friends and who then became our enemies. And we made an explicit point of killing them and their children. And I think the situation, which many have agreed is we created this paradox where you're going to die either way, so you might as well just hit, dig in and fight and not give up your weapons. And Bashar al-Assad showed like you can make major, you actually can survive. He pulled through, no matter how much they threw at him in terms of documentaries, propaganda, weapons, airstrikes, he, they held on. And it was a huge, I think, sign to the world like it is possible to hold on to your country. And I think, you know, everyone understands that ISIS didn't just appear out of nowhere. And that I think really scared a lot of people because that was almost There were many other conflicts that occurred or groups that were backed that you could always have a level of ambiguity, but it was very clear what happened with ISIS. And I think that really made a lot of people realize we're gonna be genocided if we don't stand up. And I think that was a huge turning point for the world.
0: R.I.P. Gaddafi, the the great superhero. (laughs) Your comments brought him to mind. Shout out Datman, my guest before this episode, who has a Gaddafi uh, avatar. And I just love that guy. And he's... Fascinating. Um, Daddy, I'm going to say something. I think I want to pivot us to a, a different a topic. Yes. Everything there yes. was so beautifully said. And I want to just say that I have no hatred for any people at all. Like, I'm pro the Russian people, pro the Ukrainian people. And this is controversial. I believe in ethnicities. I believe it's okay to have a mix. It's it's okay. What's disgusting about all of this is like ultimately it's like psychosexual money war games. Like, they're not really about any of the things that they ever say they're about. It's all this like just fuckery. And, It's a game. It's a game to a lot of these people, I I do feel. You know what?
1: Directly on that point, because you're the sexual thing you're saying (laughs) is it made me realize is how I mean, I've said before, like Zelensky and Putin are kind of have a lot of similarities, but in terms of how the West treated Putin at first, I don't know if you remember, there was like a famous article, like the, the bromance of Bush and Putin, but there was oh, yes. a very weird, creepy element, uh, kind of what you were touching on, exactly with Putin, where it was considered like, he was like their little toy. And I was, thinking, mm. I was like, they really do have a lot of similarities. And they thought, oh, he's completely on our side and he's going to help us defeat the evil Soviets, which don't even exist anymore. And this bizarre, like, very um, like bizarre undercurrents treatment of him and having Bush Senior and Young Bush almost like groom him and then the press mm-hmm, like openly mm-hmm. speaking and joking about it. Yeah, it's you're right. It's a very bizarre.
0: I believe he said, "I, I was uh, I looked the man in the eye. I found him to be very straightforward." This is George W. Bush speaking mm-hmm. on uh, Putin, and he said. I was able to get a sense of his soul. It mm-hmm. was a very weird moment. I remember it. You're right. It was like they were grooming this new yes. weirdo. It was like, I, the whole thing. That's what I'm calling now sex, sex lectics. There, there's a dialectic, there's a trilectic. I don't know. You, you get to a sex lectic level. That's where a lot of the I think, operations are taking place it's on this yes. psychosexual level. There are octalectics. They're pretty crazy. I can't speak on those just yet. Stay tuned, oh, right? Could I? I, <laughs> yeah.
1: I pulled up the foreign policy article I was thinking of. Can I? Yeah, for, yeah, yeah, for for yeah please. Yeah, please, of course. Yeah. Uh, oh, so this is foreign policy on George W. But So this is uh, foreign policy. So this was okay. published in November 2013. Uh, it's called The Seduction. So this is in foreign policy, Max, which is considered, you know, I rather stayed. This is the headline. The seduction of George W. Bush. How the president of good and evil bromanced Vladimir Putin and how a warm friendship turned to ice. Mm. Like, very bizarre. Bizarre. It's that's just all- one example, yeah.
0: It's infantilizing. Everybody's infantilized. Everything's a fucking 90210. It's 19 like teen movie level of discourse. Everything has to be like Harry Potter. You know, so it's of course it's all personal and like feelings, and that's how everything is being coded. Uh, I feel like as people are kind of stupefied in a sense that they're appealing to this kind of like baser emotional instinct, which I think is g- gross and uh, obvious. And the more you see it, the more like. Uh, I'm- it becomes. Um, I don't know. I, I think good for you for yeah mentioning uh, foreign policy things like the Atlantic Council. I think those are important things to pay attention to. I get what you're hitting at there. That oh, some people will maybe dismiss these as you know deep state organs, which they are. But you should pay attention there. They'll, they say a lot of things that you can read be between the lines they say a lot of things surprisingly uh, very out loud um aspen mm-hmm. institute i feel like is a good one even sure. things like media matters like their their propaganda arms like pay attention to what they're saying because you actually they lay out what they're gonna do most times Like this is what we're gonna do yes. and then they do it, at least in terms of the um most obvious operations on the kind of like surface um so thank you daddy that was great into something um that you've joined me several times uh and we've talked about these kind of broader arcs of civilization we've gotten Mm -hmm. deep into like i don't know really cool areas uh you've cited ray dalio who's a really interesting thinker and economist on on this and his historian i guess i'd really say um and just this idea of yeah uh arcs of civilization, monetary cycles. Something's come up lately that I've been like trying to stew on, which I'll get to in a second. But it is tied into kind of these concepts. And along the lines of the um, notion that you brought to us, which is that starting, you know, maybe, what is it, the 1500s, uh, Portugal becomes the first maybe modern notion of a, an empire that mm-hmm. occupies kind of the global reserve currency they they hold the keys to the kingdom and sit on the throne of empire uh, but only for a period of time they only do it for maybe like less than 100 years in that case uh, i forget precisely uh, but it essentially it, it shifts and different nations uh, rise and fall and occupy mm-hmm. uh, like a, a throne almost a seat of power of finance uh of, of the currency uh on and off and and america has had that uh, opportunity i guess you'd say that mm-hmm. role of the left 100 years su- succeeding britain in the, the century prior it's pr- possibly wrapping up that's kind of the, th- the theory according to the, the laws of this cycle first of all let me pause there does that ac- accurately capture uh the debt 101 202 etc that are studies here on the, the backlash program
1: definitely that was a pretty good summary yes
0: okay perfect so to make this abstract abstract ridiculous and complicated i'm gnawing mm-hmm. on this stupid biblical scriptural concept lately mm-hmm. that i've mm-hmm. come across called it's the, the mystery of iniquity which is a mm-hmm. it's a mm-hmm. strange a little no, i'm not, not really christian i guess we'll say qu- christian adjacent we can just say i suppose for now but uh, sorry. Oh, thought, sir, you-
1: are you Oh, no, no. Are you going to read uh,
0: Thessalonians for us? Well, we could say, I wasn't going to go deep into it. We'll say this quickly. There's a reference that comes up a few times Mm -hmm. in Thessalonians. It comes up a few other times. Mm -hmm. I I actually stumbled on it in my research, though, more from Tower of Babel, interestingly, because a word Mm. used there, specifically in the way that uh, God scatters the peoples after the kind of fall of Babel, that reference uh, turns up in a different piece of scripture related to this mystery and um, the implication of course, is that the usage of this word in these two places is intentional. Um, and so maybe me, made me think of there's a relation to this fall of Babel. I was I was on the Thoughts and Prayers podcast program. We were talking about 9-11. I, I kind of talked a little bit about the Tower of Babel because I found it interesting and relative or related. Yeah, this mystery of iniquity. I guess my concept of it, it comes up in 2 Thessalonians. The, the line is that it, it doth already work, this mystery of iniquity. Uh, it's a weird sentence. Everything in the Bible is irritating in many ways because it's, it's so veiled and it's so layered and so complex. There's many layers of meaning, so it's an advantage, but it also takes a while to unpack certain things. But my take of this study is that, like, the mystery, uh, it, it it's something veiled, it's something secret, it's something implicit, occult maybe, Uh, It ties, you know, things like Mystery Babylon or or Mystery Religions, uh, of course, but it it implies something hidden and then iniquity essentially is like this lawlessness. To me, it implied like a system of lawlessness that kind of operates in the world. And I think that's kind of a a, a fair conclusion. Um, And the reason I bring it up here is because I can't help but think about like the idea of this cyclical empire scheme. They're coming and going. It's almost as if they're a part of a system to me. And it kind of made me start to wonder... Who and what are the constants? What is the like what is the game that is being played here? What is really going on? How does this all exactly work? And is there maybe is there maybe people beyond the kind of like a tessellated checkerboard of Rise and Fall of Empires that are watching the game unfold and maybe a part of this mysterious system of iniquity? What do you think of all of that?
1: Oh my goodness, that could be a whole, a whole topic. So I, I love that you're getting into theology because it's so many. people, It's so fascinating to me, I of so many people who, um, after a certain amount of time of absorbing information and observing systems, uh, even their their studies like math, science, physics, when they get to the bottom of the glass, <laughs> mm. there are a lot of people who end up turning to not saying to religion specifically or a belief system, but like they turn to the Bible, they they start looking at the Bible more, uh, maybe exploring God. And there are many famous, very famous scientists who um, had that happen to them, um, physicists, uh, mm-hmm. people like Isaac Newton. Isaac mm-hmm. Newton 10 million words that he wrote and 5 million of them were on God and the Bible. <laughs> and the mystery of iniquity, What I want to preface this with, because this is also spoken about in the Bible many times, is uh, you need to beware of, even though we're headed for this eventual outcome of the Antichrist and the final judgment, Mm. is the Bible also warns many times to be beware of always seeing the apocalypse or the Antichrist in any figure who comes up, um, that it is inevitable, yet also you need to not spend all of your time focused on that and to understand that there are going to be people or processes that appear to be that, but they actually aren't, um, and... You don't want to end up in an endless cycle of just doomsday every few decades of saying this is the end of the world, Where the Bible actually warrants very strongly against that. Uh, the mystery of iniquity and the other mysteries. I personally think mystery of iniquity is something to think about in terms of, as you mentioned, let's talk about the, the lawlessness. It's this idea of turning away from God and turning away from obedience to God, and The idea of that isn't, I think people confuse it because not to get too, of course, we're talking about the Bible, it's going to get biblical, but the Old Testament, when people speak about disobeying God or turning away from God, it's God made a covenant with man with the Ten Commandments. And the idea isn't that you're given these rules and you absolutely must follow them and they're just handed down and it's to punish you and make you feel guilty. The concept of the Ten Commandments and why God crafted them is because He viewed all, not viewed, they are, He considered all people to be His children. So if you look at the commandments from that frame, instead of what you can't do and things that you're supposed to feel guilt and shame over and it's a punishment directly on you, the individual, and view the Ten Commandments as a framework to allow all of God's children to be happy and to not be harmed by each other and not hurt, I found that to be a very, personally, a very useful way to turn something that i know has given a lot of pain to people a lot of guilt a lot of shame but to view it instead of directly from your individual viewpoint but to see it as a covenant and the idea is that it was a framework for how if everyone followed these rules and treated each other if we actually followed the ten commandments we would have a very lovely world and the idea wasn't oh to punish you for doing this or to prevent you from following your free will because the whole point in Christian theology, free will and Catholic theology, free will is considered of utmost importance. The idea of God's covenant was he wanted to help all of his children and pull them out of the darkness of the pagan world and to give a framework for a way to live that would benefit all people equally. And that's why some people, me personally, I know other people view it differently, actually see Christian theology as a very radical and progressive doctrine. Um, If anyone is interested, I would recommend reading some books from the Old Testament. Um, The Catechism of the Catholic Church is actually a pretty incredible political treatise if you read it. It has many thoughts on governance, free will, people having free choice, and the ability to live their life to the fullest. And I, I just think it's very fascinating. But to not go way too far, of course, Mystery of Iniquity is something that I think we should view it just as it doesn't necessarily have to be an apocalyptic, but it's this idea of a turning away from God, which doesn't, which is always happening, and it doesn't have to necessarily mean immediately before the eschaton and the end of the world. There's the famous uh, phrase, don't amenitize eschaton, like, don't bring about the doomsday. Like, you you should, instead of always thinking of it in those terms, um, to think about it more in terms of a, through human history, and we do not know when the final judgment will be, um, and some people consider the final judgment to be a religious event, many Christians. Uh, there are people in other religions who have their own final day, final days. I like to think of it in terms of a warning, a double warning, a warning to watch your thoughts and behaviors and feelings, but also a warning about not always having a total view of It's the end times. If you're always focused on the end times, then you're not, you don't believe in the possibility of creating a better better world. I always think of Satan, who is considered the great deceiver, which is I think a very, a way that I wish was presented to more people to conceptualize it, is Satan is always looking to deceive people and he's always looking to turn them away from reality by making them dwell on guilt and making people dwell on their past and making people think that there is no hope. So I try to have a very, I think it's more beneficial, whether people are particularly religious or not, to have a more uh, hopeful vision. And to, instead of always focusing on, well, it's just the end of the world and everyone's going to either die or be judged or whether you believe in an afterlife or not, they think it's some kind of final end. I think it's more constructive if we take concepts like mystery of iniquity and think of it in terms of a positive future in a a positivist message like how could we analyze what we're doing and think about the future and other people and creating a better world instead of just looking to this this moment of revenge because i think the obsession with final judgment revelation is we become obsessed with this idea of our enemies will finally get the punishment we believe they deserve and i don't know if that is it's a very seductive and it's a very seductive way of thinking and of course i i personally fall into it all the time we we all do it's a very human impulse but i think that if we Stay in that mindset, and I think it leads people to dark places. So that's, I don't know if any of that made any sense.
0: Oh my, Daddy. Uh, okay, first of all, I, I did, ladies and gentlemen, did not give Daddy any heads up. I didn't tell her I was going to mention Mystery of Iniquity or any of this, but uh, and she delivers a sermon a soaring sermon that was beautiful you went uh many places i was furiously taking notes because i was like moved uh, and inspired uh you touched on many important things uh well okay for, so first of all yeah i don't know i don't know what to call i guess it's, it's a dirty word am i agnostic it's like anti-vaxxer no. sure whatever who cares I, I i'm adjacent we'll just say or even worse neoplatonists oh, don't get me started <laughs> they don't like that and so let's just say I, I read some St. Dionysius, okay? like I know some of your, the, the Christian uh, theology. There's a lot of overlap. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, and so, like, Book of Revelation, there is an obsession, although it's really good. It's really well written. It's an awesome book. Uh, I feel like it's very potent, but it's, I feel like it's also very, it can be personal. You can have your own end times, your own kind of final judgment. In it, it can have many applications. I will note, I've noticed this meme about uh, 666 being specifically about Nero everywhere all of a sudden it's like it, this whole theory that like the gematria the, the jewish uh, kind of uh, numerology of the word nero is 666 and that's who this was always about and it's probably applicable but the point of course the scripture is that it has many uh, layers and dimensions and meanings so this weird insistence that it's only about nero is a <laughs> little untimesy, i'm not gonna lie but you are totally right that people should not uh be in a state of doom um it's a a point that there is repeating that you don't want to be in a state of hopelessness in fact i think the mystery of iniquity the the part of it what's being hinted at is and all of the mysteries there's a power in knowing there's a power in understanding it i feel like also um and the iniquity to me also can just be like or it is Truly, the iniquity of the world that there is a two-tiered system, that there is something that works differently for others that doesn't work for uh, the common man. Let's say, and I think about what what is that system, and it, it makes me think about going back to that cycle of empires or of monetary currencies, which is essentially a, a framework where there's a different star every century, right? So what is what is oh, this? Oh star? yeah, I what? should
1: pull back. Yeah, I'm sorry, I went really off track. No, <laughs> no, 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 no so... We are.
0: No, we're not off track. Wait, wait, we, we just. <laughs> Uh, let me just say that I feel like it is um, like to me. It's like. What is, what does it mean to be the seat of power? It's like, there's, what are the things that are constant? The the waterways, you know, the needs, the the objects themselves, the the things of value, the people resources, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're talking about with Ukraine, like the the human capital, uh, Mm -hmm. the stars and the moon and the sun is something I wrote down thinking about this. What does that tell us? Just knowledge of that, knowledge of that, especially in an ancient time was extremely powerful to, to be able to know how to navigate using the skies. And, of course, the church, the idea of some kind of priestly caste throughout society, but specifically in the last 1,000 or 2 years, the you know the idea of a, a Catholic church or, or a universal church or some kind of Christianity, perhaps, at the seat of the power, because it always ha- has been a Western power, I would say, probably for the last um, 2,000 years or so in this kind of framework. We never were off track, by the way. We were always exactly where we were supposed to be.
1: So... Um- because I, I, I've seen people, I feel that they end up in a spiral on this and I don't understand why Is this is a frequent debate. And I think if we have the proper framework for it, it can help uh, alleviate a lot of conflict that doesn't even need to occur. Is So when you currently, for example, because I see these arguments about the United States, is people say, well, we have the dollar. Like none of this matters. You can create as much debt as you want because we have the dollar. Well there's a within the cycle of global reserve currencies, there is the cycle each individual holder goes through. So why can you print as many dollars as you want? There are countries in the world, if they printed, or and we've seen when they print all the money that they they want to address inflation or increase costs, then they end up in hyperinflation and they have a very quick collapse. So the reason that we can print the dollar as much as we want, as people say, which to an extent is true, it's because there's demand, external demand for the dollar. So, and this is what creates this, the kind of vortex of each global reserve currency where it does the power, um, it accumulates and it compounds because once you have reserve currency or you have a strong currency that's the contender then that drives demand for it and because of that demand you can then fund your own debt but mm-hmm. if there is not the demand for your currency you can't just run up multi-trillion dollar deficits and part of the reason there is a demand for that currency, it's like very like a chicken egg thing is you have a very strong military with a a massive navy that can help control global trade. So for the reason that we are able to print trillions of dollars, because there is demand for US treasuries and US dollars are needed to grease world trade, because we have the massive navy that can control the sea lines of communication control global trade routes since most global trade is still it's still by ship it's still shipping and the reason that occurs is because we have partially through implementation of our massive capitalist system and through the petrodollar created like the vortex of the global economy where people need to purchase energy because they have these societies which need a lot of goods and they have people working and working in service industries and they always need to have the lights on and the cars running and the trucks running and the ships running. So there's a huge amount of demand for oil and that oil has to be purchased in US dollars. So that creates the churn. And in other iterations of the global reserve currency, like how the British pound, and the Brits held the gold reserve currency. Almost anywhere you were in the world, if you had, even before electronic exchanges, if, if you had British, like you could use that as a, a currency anywhere and people would always accept the British pound. The same way now in many parts of the world, people will, will it accept a dollar or even prefer it. But the big thing, and what happens when there's not a demand for your currency, you get into really big trouble. We see that with, For example, in Lebanon, a really dire situation, countries in South America, if there's no external demand for your currency, then you can't operate the way a country that has great demand can. For example, the U.S. and Europe, or you have a situation like Japan where they're now running it over they just buy their own treasuries constantly. And they their debt to GDP, it's like now it's like 230% debt to GDP ratio. But they also do have a very productive economy. The people work incredibly hard. Some people argue they're literally be, being worked into the ground. Their life is their work. But that's why how Japan works is you have people who produce massive amounts of economic output and massive amounts of good, which allows them to continually buy into their own economy. And there is always, there's still a very high demand for Japanese electronics, for their cars, etc. The issue is, is you need to have a reason for external forces like other countries and other currencies to buy into yours if they're not buying into yours you get into trouble and that's why you have the poor nations versus the rich nations it's a matter of external demand more than anything else and then this is also what in global reserve currencies this is ironically what also tends to lead to an eventual downfall is you need to make a relatively flexible society that's actually pretty open to not just foreign investment but a foreign influence and you need to be relatively open you want to be bringing in immigrants you want to be bringing in people who will purchase properties in your country you need to have it where people feel like they do have if they have currency they have a level of power and then, of course, what happens is that power tends to corrupt the elite and then they take it all the way and then you have a eventual breakdown. But that's kind of the big question. We see this tension in the United States housing market. We see this tension in, in Canada, for example. Canada, uh, I call them lifeboats. Lifeboat apartments and condos and houses that people from countries where you can just have everything confiscated or you are more subject to the whims of forces beyond your control. Like, for example, it's true. Russian, very wealthy Russians and oligarchs and wealthy Chinese businessmen, they're all buying houses and condos in Canada, in the United States, Mm -hmm. in London. And then it drives up the prices, which then creates internal domestic unrest because the people say, why can't we afford, you know, a house in our own country Mm -hmm. and you have these foreigners. And I don't know if there's ever fully an escape from this. It's just the churn of reality. So for example, I know you're asking, what are some of the eternal things? I would say it's demand for energy, which if you want to get about it, it's the laws of thermodynamics. It cannot be created or destroyed. Energy is only ever transferred, which I think is something that all economists and kids studying the economy need to understand because even these powerful, massive economies, as Russia conflict has highlighted, they require constant steady supplies of energy and fuel and that's why we're seeing all of these coal coal mines reopened we're seeing purchases of just black market oil everyone's still buying oil Mm -hmm. everyone's still using fossil fuels because these massive economies that are based on uh, financial as the buzzword hyper financialized economies um which end up becoming basically like service economies where you're kind of either generating massive amounts of global capital or you're a person who provides some kind of service that those people with that income then want to purchase. So then you end up with this very skewed economy where you're not necessarily producing tangible goods, but you're producing financial capital or financial power and then you have the people who serve the interests of those people. And this has happened time and time again, and it always creates tension in any um, country or empire, but that's kind of the churn that we're experiencing now. But you always have the steady aspects of, you're always going to have an elite class in any country, society, political system. That elite class has to always have their needs supplied. No matter what, as we see through history, you tend to have a global shipping system exists. You can have a constant demand for agriculture. You need, we talk about food a lot, but the big thing is fertilizer. You need what grows the food, which is fertilizer. So for example, part of what's allowed this conflict with Russia and Ukraine to continue is a lot of diplomats behind the scenes were told, well, you can't purchase Russian energy. But what you can do is you can purchase more fertilizer because Russia produces a large amount of the fertilizers used across the world and the components. So, you know, you can't, as much as we want to do sanctions or cut off, you can only do so many sanctions. You can only cut off so many energy producers. You can only cut off so many fertilizer producers. The big thing that we haven't had to deal with yet, which I think will define... What occurs in the next cycle of all this is running out of potable water. I mean, you can live without fuel for a, people did for a very long time without fossil fuels; they burned wood. But you can live without fuel. You can live without food for a long time, but water is a few days and. There are some economists who have a very dire thing, who think pretty soon water will literally be more viable from gold. There are people who argue, well, we'll figure it out. We can do desalination, etc. But to me, that's the thing that is different because we haven't seen that yet. There have been water crises around the world. There have been people who died of thirst, but... On a global scale, if we hit a point where we don't have enough potable water and when you see the massive amounts of waste we're still producing, it's pretty concerning. Like That's the thing that we haven't even touched yet that I think will be pretty significant because nothing happens without fresh water.
0: And on an underground lake, we'll talk off air. I've got some hot tips. Uh, Jenny, you just outlined so many, you outlined uh, very eloquently many different aspects, I would say, of the mystery of iniquity, just in these tensions that you're describing, these kind of uh, upside down. Markets, these iniquities, literal iniquities, injustices, the idea of funding your own debt on a national level, on a personal level, to be the idea that you're born in almost to like debt slavery in a sense. You're born into this system, you have no real. Meaningful and actionable option to get out of it that that easily anyway to leave this kind of this network uh, governed by these shipping lanes. You could argue this kind of like crazy system. A part of me thinks that is a part of this this mystery, this duality. You're digging your own grave from the moment you're born, is what it feels. Mm-hmm. And like I mean, I won't. I, I'm not, it's anyway. We need to. We need probably to wrap. I won't ask you if my birth <laughs> certificate is in the basement of the the Vatican. It, <laughs> I think it might be, but. The, you know where I'm getting though. Like there is a system to a degree that is just ingrained, um, which is even different from probably our great great grandparents. For a century and a half before, uh, especially the United States, and things uh, like Social Security administration or the Federal Reserve or uh, just our, the way our, our uh, just our, our monetary system works, or the way our government works with the private sector—all that's really changed dramatically in the last 120 years and so i just feel like uh it is interesting because in the bible the iniquity mystery it is seen as uh, an extension of kind of like a a precursor maybe to the antichrist or kind of like the 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 workings of the the deceiver of the devil kind of on Mm -hmm. the planet right and so i see it as an informal uh thing i'm not alleging necessarily a, a, a meeting like a mystery of iniquity like Club per se, where they go and show their, their car, like a go Costco where you shop for mystery of iniquity goods or anything like that. I don't think this per se, but it is something that's uh more subtle. I think it may be perhaps in more almost in unconscious, maybe akin to like class influence, even you know, something that's just ingrained.
1: I would say, I don't even if they did have your birth certificate, they probably haven't even found it yet because all of the archives got shuffled. This is like a real thing, so because Napoleon who had these delusions of grandeur and wanted all of the archives of Europe moved to to Paris, He he had the entire Vatican secret archives, which is the Vatican Apostolic Archive, was sent to Paris and held for years and everything got all jumbled up. And then once it was returned, Vast amounts of it were, you know, siphoned off in the transport. So they lost a lot of things and so many files were transferred that they actually are still like sorting through some of them now over like a (laughs) hundred, close to 200 years later.
0: (laughs) So they don't even
1: know what they have in
0: there. (laughs) My certificate predates Napoleon's times for sure. I am a bit of a geezer. (laughs) Those priests are too busy with their... You know what? I almost said something really inappropriate. I won't offend you. But their orgies and their overdosing sex workers in Poland. I, I saw a story yesterday
1: <laughs> That was really bad. That was
0: they're dark. They're not going to be getting yeah, around to this the whole yeah, gambling on my uh, birth certificate on the Don't stock worry. market anytime soon. I'm sure uh, more more proximal actors to my life have already vultured all the exploitation out of me that they can garner right here in the in the united states um daddy we are recording on the eve of michael moss i don't know if you were aware but i happened to see that tomorrow's saint michael's feast happy feast day saint michael he is a fan i think he 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 is listening so happy feast day he's a guardian for the fall i I think we want to give him a shout out i think i should say my on Franciscans perhaps or or what you know about all of this. Uh, maybe for our first live space. Maybe that would be a good oh, topic.
1: Maybe, yeah. Tomorrow we are having a, a dinner party with the priest coming over. So I'll see if I can get any <laughs> any leads for you.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, I'd let him. I mean... I don't want to brag, but I'm probably closer to Saint Michael than the priest. I don't. I don't want to brag, but like I mean, we go way back. He's a great arch- All the archangels. Shout out all of you guys. They are the best.
1: Oh um, yeah. No. Next segment, we'll talk about Saint Francis of Assisi. I forgot. I was so I, excited about that. I, but it's, I it's- was
0: too. <laughs> it's yeah, very well, late you have been a trooper you have delivered us I'm, so i'm many, gonna
1: get too loopy soon no so. you've <laughs> delivered
0: many a pearl of wisdom to us this evening daddy my final question actually this is a short one it's just like okay what can we do to get the homosexuals into formula one i i want to get into it but i do need it to be a gang oh, effort it's how all- do we do it
1: Okay, Formula 1, it's already a bunch of, like, European tweaks running around. I think it's already, all the material is there. You know what you should do is they all take uh, ice baths to, like, cool them down before and Mm. after races, and the teams have started realizing it's a very effective thirst trap. So I would say, like, uh, Carlos Sainz ice bath probably is what would get get your friends in.
0: Perfect. Actually, what's...
1: Formula One is great because, and I tell people, like, if you're into parapolitics, it is the perfect later in life hobby because everyone is there. All the billionaires, all the royals, the princes, the CEOs. It's, it's, um. what did someone say? Oh, they're like, oh, it's like Gossip Girl. It, it is. It's like <laughs> Gossip Girl. It's so ridiculous. But it's all real, too. Like, it's all It's just fascinating because you have these mega billionaires, their offspring who they buy entire racing teams for. All the royals go, like the Dutch royals love it. The Saudi royals love it. All of the like various emirs and princes from the Middle East are on the FIA like leadership it's so fascinating so if you're mm. into parapology of course there's the catholic element because you have all these torture mm. europeans some of the turns are named after saints like at the famous tracks mm-hmm. but i just i tell people like it's perfect because it's like a never-ending font of like knowledge and information and intrigue there's major scandals all the time there's spy gates like every year it's I I always tell people, like, you just have to give it a try because you would be shocked, even if you feel that you're not into racing, because it has the element of internationalism, it has all these different languages, it has all of these different characters who, like, Michelle Yeoh, that, like, actress who won the Oscar, and it was funny because she's married to one of the huge F1 people, so we were all just Mm -hmm. like, oh, it's just... Like she was like queen of F1 for 10 years there. She was at every race weekend. So it's just, it's super fun. It's exciting because they're in a different country every week, basically. So it's like a little taste of adventure and um,
0: yeah. Wow. It sounds, it's giving Knights of Malta. It's giving Ian Fleming, it's giving (laughs) some Bechtel uh, sort of, I guess a little bit too. That's fascinating. I think we, we need to get the right way. When you mentioned the ice baths, I was like, that's how you get the right-wing frozen. Yeah. We get them Is in, that, and then the twigs come right along. That's how it works. Exactly. So once we get it, they'll they'll be interested in this uh, very novel ice bath uh, solution. Nothing nothing about it. Nothing else about it. They're just probably very interested in the health solution of watching a sexy European man nude inside of a metal can nice there's nothing weird about it but once they're in then the twinks will come along for other pleasures perhaps <laughs> i think this is our plan we've got we need funding though honestly i need some I need a little extra dough from formula one if we can get some sponsorship there,
1: you go. there was a we lady- can spin up an operation quickly the other day, it this was one of the most popular photos from the track last weekend, uh, a lady with a Birkin bag who has been having like drivers and team principals sign it. And I'm just thinking, oh, like that's the level that the Formula One audience is on is they're just casually having Birkin signed like that's. <laughs> the level. It's completely surreal. I've gotten guess- friends into it just because they're like, it's so, they're just shocked. Like this, they're like, everything they do is over the top. Like last week, Al brought like their, uh, they brought one of the cars on a barge on the Venice Canal. Like that, everything they do oh, is wow. just- Yeah, I would tell people probably Red Bull. I think Red Bull is also, they do really fun videos. So if you're trying to get people in, um, Max is, of course, adorable. And I'm sure that would attract people. But Red Bull does just very cool, um, like outreach and events. And they do these teaser promos where they just do nuts stuff. Like they'll take a Formula One car and they'll put it on ice, on the snow. (laughs) They'll take a Formula One car and like drive it through Holland They'll take a Formula One car and, like, shoot it through the streets of Italy. So it's just, yeah, there's something for everyone. So I highly encourage anyone to get obsessed. Yeah, exactly. I would start, and I tell people, too, even though, I like, roll your eyes a little, uh, the Netflix series, which is how a lot of people got into it, Drive to Survive it kind of later seasons but like the first two or at least the first season i tell people uh the first season is almost like a primer to formula one so it introduces like all the drivers and the teams and you can pretty quickly it's also very in my opinion quite entertaining and Many people agree, but it's a good primer because once you get the like general gist of it, it's of course easier. But I always tell people like, just give Drive to Survive season one a shot because you'll probably quickly get completely sucked in. And many, a good amount of the drivers who are in that season are still currently drivers. So I say that if you don't know anything, that's a perfect primer. It's like on Netflix, just binge watch it. And then you'll, there's tons of other media and interest.
0: I, I like the name of the show That's a smart That will help us uh, We can get yes. some clips going yeah, Once we have the funding
2: probably...
0: yep. <laughs> Once yes. NATO pays us To stop talking about this And we will go to Making a little account With a fake uh, twink That uh, sends out Like clips of Formula One all day Sounds <laughs> like a plan oh I cannot wait <laughs> This sounds like a dream <laughs> Daddy This has, speaking of dreams Has been a dream come true I, I love talking With you Thank you I feel like we went So many amazing places We didn't even get So
1: many places <laughs> I'm impressed if anyone is still listening.
0: No, they do. Because it's a, that's the whole thing is it's a, it always, yeah. it all ties together. It all is connected. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like, I know we didn't get to my race science to your delight, I am sure, but yes. we'll to get there. No, it's really- you know, no. I'm, I,
1: I have white skin and blue eyes. I can't touch race science at all. I have to stay far away.
0: Okay, so we call that light, archaic stone age. I have a whole breakdown yeah. Northern. That's a whole thing, uh, unfortunate. Yeah. It's very passionate. I'm-
1: Oh, negative, blue eyes. I'm in trouble. There are people who've alleged I'm not even born of the earth. So,
0: well, you know, we, I feel like at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I have a very compassionate race science. We won't get to that. Oh I think goodness. poetry it, it is really it's heartwarming, honestly. It's a gonna, heartwarming. It's so no, trouble. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. It's, it is a heartwarming. It is. Well, I won't go into it at this time. We are all God's children. Exactly. Now, say that. That's Can the point it? of that is the whole point of my studies is that we have more in common we have more in common than separates us it's an important thing to know um and i think i won't go into any of that i can hear
1: you spinning a pair of calipers around
0: (laughs) no i don't do it it's not really even based it's more on just um movements and patterns throughout history and more honestly more religion based more of like their spirituality and practices based that's where you can really start to map some DNA, mm. but we'll get into that a whole <laughs> another time because I, I, I think potus was across this like across the street, Daddy. For me, was I, this, I there was
1: reading your recounting of it. Okay, I was
0: wrong. That. Xi Jinping. I don't think. I think. There was, this, I think, a Chinese dignitary. I met. It's there was something possible. weird, something. And back in the day, you used to get a real detailed outline of the president's schedule. Now they, the whole schedule for Biden is like he woke up, he's gonna wake <laughs> His up. Dog and
1: bit another secret service agent. That's <laughs> the most detailed information we get about the president. And so um, secret service agent has been bitten?
0: <laughs> just I wish ridiculous. I was joking, I, uh, but actually, it's, it's, no. It's a complete. It, you no, know, what the joke is is that we pay for like all of this. And that we were so they were so mad. at Donald Trump. We people watched every single press conference every single day. Everybody knew every member of every cabinet official. This government. I don't even know if they exist half the time. They are off at Chase Manhattan at a board meeting half the time. Who knows? I don't know. Teddy, it has been a pleasure. Where can people find you? And what What should people know?
1: Um, uh, my Twitter page. That and that's it. That. I, have, I have nothing exciting i have no secret no secret layers um i've had several people ask me about joining the quote-unquote other network but i don't know you know um, yeah just go find daddy or don't you probably don't want it.
0: No, fine. Of course, people <laughs> will have found it, Daddy. I'm sure, in her endless uh, kaleidoscope, her, her dark glass of, of kind of just like interesting ephemera and, and great taste. And, and coastal F1. pictures. Coastal yeah, pictures. coastal
1: pictures. Coastal pictures and F1. There's pl- there's plenty there.
0: And that's what's important, I think, also uh, to your point about not being doom-filled, not obsessed with, uh, preoccupied with end times. It's a good demo variety and it's just yeah. a good life. And I think, Daddy, you really, you, you've crystallized it through your lens onto the posting sphere and i appreciate you and our listeners do too so thank you for joining
1: you're welcome thank you very much for having me